Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. And as always, this is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so glad that you're here. Uh, If you're new, we like to get this out up front and early that we are not religionless. We are very Christian. This show is very Christian. Uh, But it's more so the world and especially this nation that is very religionless, very secular. And that at least in part is where the name comes from. You know, so how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in a religionless or secular world? That's what we're going to try to help with today as we try to help with every Saturday by looking at stories from the news and around the world, um, different things from the Christian faith. So we're going to be doing that today. And uh, for today on the show, of course, we're going to be diving into some stories from the news that we think are of particular importance to Christians. And then we're going to focus a lot on the Cat Williams interview. That's going to be one of our major focuses on the show today. Cat Williams, a comedian. And um, then after the Cat Williams interview, we'll be ending with our Bible topic. But this is going to be a new Bible topic. Um, Hopefully one that will carry us throughout the entire year. That's kind of the plan. It's what we're hoping for. So... Got a lot to get to on the show today, but before we do, before we get to any of it, is there anything you'd like to say? Any prayer requests or praise reports that you have? Well, praise God, our boys passed uh, their classes, their driver's ed classes. Now it's, um, I got all their documentation. Now I can go to the MVD and get their permits. So that's coming up maybe Monday. I'm going to go take care of that, and then they're going to be driving. So please pray for them, pray for us. Yeah, something that startled me, like we've taken them driving before, but I was thinking about it yesterday, like we'll have to have them back out of the driveway. And I was like, I don't know if we've had them back a vehicle up before. No. In like in a road with other cars parked around it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, great. That I can barely back out of our driveway sometime because... Back right into the car behind us. So Yeah, because Spencer will park the truck right close to the driveway on the road and then i got a someone else's truck directly behind our driveway and it's like i can't do like i can't start turning early i gotta back up so close to that other truck i usually have to back up a little go forward turn the wheel and yeah it's a little tricky get out so we'll see how it goes (laughs) with the kids but they are starting to drive so pray for us there and then also pray for me um my new semester of classes start this week. And I'm excited about it. These are pastoral specific classes, um, but I'm also going to school in a new way now. So it's still distance learning, but my pastor is essentially my school class mentor now. So I have to meet with him and, um, you know, so now there's that little extra importance that the assignments get done and done well. So just please pray for me that I can do that. Mm -hmm. I would be very grateful. And then uh, one last thing before we get this show rolling, we just want to mention, because we've been forgetting to mention this for a while, that we are proud members of the Christian Podcast community, um, which is a great place to go and find 60 or so good Christian indie podcasts. You can see us right there if you're watching on the video. Um, Podcasts from a whole host of different topics, all pertaining to faith. And not all just from one sort of theological background. There's um, differing faith viewpoints and 
you know, things from cryptocurrency to, you know, what are you watching, um, different movie reviews and stuff like that. So cool place to go and get, like I said, 60 indie podcasts all on one podcast feed. So go check out the Christian podcast community. I'm sure you'll be blessed. But we will get this thing rolling because we got a lot to get to today. It could be potentially could be a pretty long show. So bear with us. I think it's all worthwhile. <laughs> but we'll go ahead and get this thing rolling, honey, if you want to read the first headline that we have here. All right. It says, ex-psychic warns Fox News pushing demonic agenda by airing divination during primetime. A former psychic who repented of occult practices after turning to Jesus Christ warned that Fox News potentially opened their view their viewers to demonic activity by airing an act of divination during primetime last week. Roberts, um, a real psychic who's been doing this for a long time and who is serious about what she does, uh, Niza told Christian Post, um, a lot of people will say these people are hucksters. That's just not true. There are hucksters, but this woman is not a huckster. This woman is truly a psychic. In broadcasting such a practice during primetime, she said Fox News risked piquing the curiosity of their viewers to dabble in such things, effectively encouraging people to enter into demonic communication, going against God, going to divination, psychics, and the tarot cards to try to gain some sort of future information when demons don't have any future information. I like that she made that point. Yeah, it's important to make yeah, that point there's right there. no yeah. reason to do that. <laughs> yeah, so um, like it says, Fox had a tarot card reader, Psychic, on their primetime show. And I didn't watch the segment first off. <laughs> Normally, I try to watch um, anything that we're going to discuss here on the show, but I didn't feel it was important to watch this. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, but I had a couple of thoughts on this. And the first one was that Fox News is absurd anymore, <laughs> you know. To consider, you know, this is the eight, uh, eight o'clock prime time slot and consider what this slot was for like 20 years. It was Bill O'Reilly, you know, like some hard hitting, just pure like journalistic news. Yeah. And then it went from that to Tucker Carlson and all that he presented um, was, I think, very important for the years that he was there. And now we're down to Jesse Waters doing, you know tarot card reading in regard to Donald Trump. It's just absurd. Um, Are they putting, they're just putting stuff out there that people want to watch really? I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, obviously you do anything regarding Donald Trump and people yeah. are tune in, but yeah. I mean, I guess, and I don't know, right? Do they tune in, I suppose? Or is this just grasping for straws at this point? Because I don't know who still watches yeah, Fox I wonder News that too. on a regular basis or listens to it. Um, trying to get a new crowd in. <laughs> maybe, right? They're, you know, it's like the uh, the Catholic Church starting to bless the mm -hmm. LGBTQ community. They're like, our numbers are dwindling. I um, wonder. <laughs> yeah, so if you are still watching Fox News, stop. Don't mm -hmm. watch them anymore. Um but then secondly, how dangerous is this? You know, I think this idea of exposing this and in a sense, normalizing mm -hmm. this sort of behavior. Again, this is the prime time news, you know, slot on Fox News. 
And to have this woman on here in any sense, I think, you know, exposing it to people, but then in a sense, sort of normalizing it. I mean, these are things we shouldn't even really speak of, Mm -hmm. you know, this sort of divination and spiritualism. And then lastly, like, is there no end to the Trump idolatry and what they will turn to? Again, like, let's have the, the spirits tell us what will happen with Donald Trump. How about we let elections tell us what will happen with Donald Trump and let that be that? Yeah. I mean, we should pray for Donald Trump and pray for our nation. Um, there's a, this is a spiritual, I mean, there's like a curse on our nation. I don't know. There's just, let's pray against anything that would have come about from this. Bizarre (laughs) for sure. And, uh, this article goes down here. So just in the article, Nikki mentioned Roberts. I think Roberts is the actual psychic reading the tarot cards. This Nissa woman is the one who's um, highlighting the dangers of it, the mm-hmm. former psychic, if you will. So mm-hmm. the article goes on and it says, Nissa believes Americans are now particularly vulnerable to such things given the country's political turmoil, which she warned could lead them down a rabbit hole of destruction amid their concerns over what will happen in the near future. And I think this is true that we're of a particular vulnerability, but not because of political turmoil. Uh, Maybe that plays some part in it for sure. But, you know, we've talked about this as have others, you know, in the past. But America is simultaneously becoming more spiritual and less Christian. Yeah. And this is according to, you know, I pulled up just some surveys, the Pew Research Center. uh, In one you know, that I was reading through, I saw this says 42% of Americans believe the dead can communicate with the living. Um, 42%. That's pretty incredible. And then, you know, even when you go up here and read through the rest of this survey, 83% of Americans believe people have a soul or a spirit yet only 60 to 65% are Christian. You know, so like right. what is that other 23 believe of They're, the soul or spirit. They believe in the spiritual realm but right. they deny God. So I think that's why this is dangerous, right? Yeah. Um, and this is something I think that could certainly and probably will entice some, you know, because again, we have a nation of people that are searching spiritually and, um, you know, you have a major news network platform, demonic practices, dangerous. And it should be enough, hopefully, for you to walk away from the whatever, you know, little bits you have remaining of like affection towards Fox news for whoever they once were or whatever, just walk away. Um, you know, because even at the end of the day, what the tarot cards show is not important really. It's the practice itself. Right. Cause I think the tarot card reader, if you read the story, it highlighted something sort of negative about Donald Trump. Um, but who cares? Right. Cause the, just the idea of showing it because mm-hmm. Donald Trump is either going to win the election or he's going to lose the election, right? It's in a sense a 50-50 now, depending on the polls and all that, but 50-50, right? He wins or loses. So now if they highlight something negative and Donald Trump loses, they're like, oh, see, the mm-hmm. tarot card was right. You well, know? I was thinking about all those false prophecies about Donald Trump you know, several years ago. We're not allowed to call them false prophecies. They were inaccurate prophecies they were, made by real and true prophets. didn't come to pass. So now people are like, oh, this is more reliable than prophecy. Although, yeah, they weren't real prophets, but still they're going to be like, 
this works better than the people who say they're yeah. of God. Demonic divination is more accurate than false prophecy. <laughs> like, what are we I mean, talking? This is causing a lot of confusion. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's dangerous. This is divination. And the Bible specifically condemns and warns against divination. So mm -hmm. I just have two verses here, honey. Do you want to read the first one? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 5. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty straightforward. Um, if you delve into divination and mediums and spiritists, the Lord will set his face against you. And that's never a statement in the Bible that's positive. <laughs> like, you're never like, ooh, thank goodness the Lord's not paying attention to me. Like, <clears throat> no, um, that is not <laughs> a good thing. And then I also have Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. It says, Now when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? And I think that is a wonderful uh, verse from Isaiah, right? Because what he's saying is like, why would you go to a, a tarot card reader when you have access to the living God? What? Why? Those who have passed on, or if it's evil spirits, or if it is, you know, loved ones, whoever they think they're talking to, <laughs> why would they have knowledge of the future? Yes, it's so stupid. That makes I no sense. I called up my great-great-grandpa from the Civil War era, and he told me Donald Trump would win. But really Why think about that. Donald Why? Trump? How would they get that information yes. in a spirit, spirit realm? The only one who knows the future is God. And an evil God isn't going to tell an evil spirit I, he's planning. I don't know. Uh, very bizarre. But either way, I mean, I'm kind of laughing, but it's dangerous <laughs> because, again, people are spiritually seeking and they see this. Mm -hmm. well, you know, it could at least uh, encourage a few who otherwise wouldn't have gone and, you know, sought that. They, you know, they may seek it. So mm -hmm. shame on Jesse Waters for platforming um, that sinfulness, uh, even if it was in a mocking way, whatever it happens to be. We shouldn't even be, you know, jokingly. Um, discussing that stuff and platforming it because it's dangerous. Um, and the Bible speaks against it, so we shouldn't do it. So um, just wanted to highlight that. Again, I didn't watch it because it's on Fox News and we shouldn't be watching Fox News. Um, they're there just to uh, propagandize us and rile us up just the same as CNN, MSNBC. They all do the same thing just for people on different teams. Um, so ignore that stuff. So. Um, we do have, so let's go to this next story. Um, keep this thing going. Do you want to read this headline? New York city megachurch sued by women, uh, turned down for pastor job after Kelvin O'Butz's death. Um, it says a landmark lawsuit has been filed against the Abyssinian Baptist church in New York city for alleged gender discrimination in its selection process for a new senior pastor following the death of Calvin O'Butts III in 2022. Ebony Marshall Terman, a, firm, a former pastor Abyssinian and a current Yale Divinity School professor, initiated the legal action after being excluded as a finalist for the role, the Associated Press reported. Marshall Terman, who made history in 2007 as the youngest pastor ordained in Abyssinian's 215-year history, alleges 
that sexism played a significant role in the decision, as stated in her lawsuit filed on December 29th. So, yep. (laughs) Ebony Marshall Truman, she says sexism played a significant role in her not being selected. So um, that led me to want to go and see who these sexist pigs were that refused her the position she was owed. So let's go take a look here at these sexist pigs from Abyssinian. And um, this is their search for a pastor. They actually posted their pastoral selection committee on their website. So we're just going to scroll down through here. There you can see the committee, the chair. Okay, yeah. Dana Fleming, Tiffany Merriweather. And we're just going to scroll down through here. So there are 24 total members of their selection committee, 24 members in total, and uh, 15 of those 24, if you're watching on the video, if not, 15 of those 24 are black women. (laughs) Um, Mm. So over half of the selection committee is women. And again, I'll add, they're all black, so so much for diversity, but 15 of the 24 are black women including the chair and vice chair. Mm -hmm. And yet, with all of that, Ebony Turner was still prevented from getting the job she wanted by sexism. These 15 women were all sexist pigs against another woman, is what we're supposed to believe here. You know, this is like when you hear a black person speak against, like, liberal policies. They're like... He's a white supremacist. You're like, do you know what those words mean? Um, so here, Ebony Turner claims sexism uh, that was being hoisted on her by 15 fellow women is what prevented her. It seems unlikely to me. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You know, how could any woman who wrote such a wonderful book, a magnum opus, if you will, as Ebony Turner? Uh, be denied this job. And uh, for you dolts out there who don't realize this magnum opus that's coming out that Ebony Turner wrote, I will remind you once again, it's the wonderful book that goes by the name of Black Woman's Burden, Male Power, Gender Violence, and the Scandal of African-American Social Christianity. Wow. (laughs) I mean... What does Christianity in America need more than race-hustling, feminist, social justice warriors? And I will just mention, this woman who wrote this book, she's a Yale Divinity School professor. Please, for the sake of your children's soul, do not send them to Ivy League institutions, even if you think you're sending them there for something like a divinity school. These are these are people that have no business teaching your kids about spiritual matters. Um, mm-hmm. Don't send your kids there. She's far less a Christian than she is a race-hustling, feminist, social justice warrior. Maybe so she's your kids. so upset because she thinks if she doesn't get this position... People won't know her name so well and want to buy her book. How will she sell her books? I mean, I know it's enticing me just reading the title. I mean, geez, Louise. But um, 
the lawsuit goes on, or the, the article, I'm sorry, goes on in here. It says the lawsuit seeks monetary damages for lost wages, lost benefits, other economic damages, shame, humiliation, embarrassment, and mental distress, and an injunction against hiring-related gender discrimination. Only in America, I feel like, in 2024, can you sue a company because they didn't hire you and you're suing them for lost wages. You weren't hired. (laughs) What lost wage? Like, I'm going to go and sue Intel because they didn't hire me when I was 18. And for 20 years of lost wages, I want it all back. Well, you were never hired. I want it all back. Like, this is insane. (laughs) But, you know, it's funny. We read in that other article about Fox News, the lady said, these, you know, spirit, uh, spiritists, these mediums, they're not hucksters. Or she said there are hucksters, but this woman is real. And it made me think of that, this woman, mm. Ebony Turner. And I don't mean to be name calling, but like she's a huckster, in my opinion, claiming to be some Christian pastor yeah. when really you're a race hustling feminist. And so you're, you're a huckster. You're pretending to be something you're not. And I think she's unbiblical. If she's in fact a Christian at all, which I would question, um, and not to mention if she is a pastor, right? She's disqualified, in my opinion, for failing to uphold mm-hmm. Paul's instruction. Well, her book, just by the title of it, seems to just be it's going to cause a division, right? Like, does she think she's going to be this head pastor, and everybody in the church is going to read her book, and that's the the gospel to her? The I mean, victim mentality. It it's a black woman's burden. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously divisive, but certainly dismissed what Paul told her about taking uh, legal action against believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like right. literally what he's telling you to do or telling you not to right, do. Right. Um, and it's funny, she's suing them for shame is one of the things that she says. When in fact, the only shame should be what she feels when she considers her standing before Christ, not the shame of being overlooked for a position. So, uh, but with all that said, you know, we don't want to let Abyssinian off the hook here because the church did ordain her, as it said, the youngest, youngest person ordained. And, you know, they've danced with the devil in their unbiblical practices here. So in a sense, you get what you get, right? Um, and one of the things I found interesting, I don't know anything really about Abyssinian except for looking up this story. I've never heard of them before, but when looking at their history, cause they have that on their website as well. Uh, as far as I can tell, the best thing in Abyssinian's history happened in the 1930s when a young gentleman by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the namesake of this podcast went there and taught Sunday school. Uh, So my how they have fallen from having Dietrich Bonhoeffer teaching Sunday school to having a uh, race hustling feminist try to promote her book by taking them to court for not hiring her. What did all the Uh, men say who didn't get picked? What do they get to claim? uh, They better shut their mouths because... They've been oppressing women. I mean, the book, 
tells it all, right? It's a black woman's burden. These these sexist men and women have been holding her down, so they better keep their mouth shut, I would imagine. But, I mean, this is alarming, and this is kind of the reason why we wanted to make a point of this story, because we talked about a story fairly similar to this last year. You know, if you guys remember our story uh, about Moody Bible College being taken to court by that uh, woman, Janae Garrick, for their really teaching and promoting male headship in the church, and this is kind of in the same vein. So. Now we have a woman taking a specific church to court for not hiring her because she says she's female. So Janae Garrick is taking Moody Bible College to court because they're essentially teaching and ordaining men for leadership roles in the church. And now this woman is taking a specific church to court for doing that exact same thing. And, um, you know, these people who claim to be Christian, Janae Garrick, Ebony Turner, yet seem completely comfortable with letting our legal system make decisions in the church, uh, that should be alarming to Christians. And we've talked about this for at least a year and a half now, that the DIE mob, the diversity, inclusion, and equity mob was coming for your church, you know, and... Uh, there are those people are already in your church who are going to push that agenda. Yeah, they're there. They've been yeah. there for a while, right? Janae Garrick was working at Moody Bible College, um, and they're sort of seemingly here to kind of usher in that new, you know, frontier of secular oversight of the Christian church. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this with that, you know, it was a YouTube video. I think we discussed a year ago or so where the DIE mob mentioned, Hey, we're coming for your seminaries and what they're teaching at seminaries. And now we have these women that are like, yeah, we're coming for your, your church specifically as well. We're going to dictate the hiring practices of your church. Um, you know, so that's dangerous and, um, yeah. we need to be aware of it, uh, because these people, I mean, obviously race hustling feminists, but they're selfish people as well. Right. You know, she's suing them because she felt shame and embarrassment and, um, you know, wow. why do selfish people do selfish things? I mean, I don't know. They're selfish, right? They're egotistical. They want what they want let the chips fall where they may, but it's dangerous. And I think we need to be aware of it. We can't just go, woo, man, right. that stinks for Abyssinian. Yeah, um, we have to think about how unbelievers look at the church. How is this um, helping to further uh, spreading the gospel? And what are, what are they thinking? Why would they want to be part of the body of Christ if there's just drama? There's selfishness in the body of Christ. Why? Right. I mean, if why would they want to hear what you have to say about Jesus? <laughs> you know, the idea of us living a Christian life is that the outside world should see us mm -hmm. and hopefully be enticed <clears throat> by it, that we look different, live different. You know, there's joy and peace and community. So when yeah, they all will know that us goes by away, our love for one another. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's different than this, you know, from this than any other, you know, uh, corporation that's looking to hire a new CEO and there's infighting and you know all that sort of stuff it looks exactly the same why I would think they be that this church that? probably going there they probably all have power trips going on there's probably no love of the brethren like if maybe and this is probably another issue to to bring up that's separate from Abyssinian but just generally mega church culture because yeah. we talked about an article with Charles Stanley 
when he was becoming the pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, and they talked about the elder meetings that they had when they were trying to hire a pastor. And I mean, this is like a completely opposite church, right? You got, you know, uh, seemingly a all black liberal progressive church in New York. I'm assuming Abyssinians in New York. Uh, and then you have a sort of mostly white, you know, Southern country Baptist church. And, but down there, they've talked about their elders were throwing punches Mm-hmm. in their pastoral selection committee. And you're like, these are the men of God leading your church? goes you to nuts? show they didn't, they already had a reason to be hateful toward one another. Like, they all probably didn't even love each other to start. Well, and I think that megachurch culture, right? Because if you're the <clears throat> lead pastor of a megachurch, that's a quite prominent position, which yeah. comes with a lot of notoriety. Again, if you're... Uh, Miss Turner, and you're trying to, you know, sell your book. Being the pastor of a mega church in New York is probably a good place to sell your book, right? Yeah, people um, just want to make a name for themselves, and they use the church as a a platform for that. They would probably make a name for themselves anywhere. The church is just maybe just easy. Well, and that's the thing. I don't know if they could make a name for themselves as easily. And this is uh, maybe, you know, we're going to kind of get into the weeds, but uh, probably another reason why I think so many people desire um, a pastoral position without really being qualified or wanting to be a pastor, because it's kind of a easy leadership position, right? You don't yeah. have to go and be, you know, hired by Dell to be the CEO. You're like, I just graduated from, you know, college. Well, I'm 23 years old. And now I'm the youth pastor. I get to stand in front of people. Yeah, but I think it's easier to move ahead in these seeker sensitive churches because I mean just like uh transformation church, they just picked him because they they liked him and he wasn't he's not even good at preaching or anything. They just like you. Like so that's how you can move up. Just just get people to like you just for your personality or Yeah, it could be. You don't have to be qualified at all. <laughs> boy does Miss Turner not sound like she has a wonderful personality. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I think, some dangers there with megachurch <clears throat> and egotistical, uh, egotistical people. But even you know, aside from that, you know, uh, Abyssinian Church, right? They enabled this sort of die acolyte, and now they're dealing with the ramifications of that. Um, so again, they get what they get at some level, but there are Ebony Turners, there's Janae Garricks everywhere across this country. So. Um, your church needs to get ready for that because I'm sure they would be willing to do to your church what they're doing to Abyssinian, to Moody Bible College. So if you're a pastor, an elder, a church member, um, you know, if you haven't been guarding against that, preparing for that, I would say do that now. Don't wait until you're being taken to court because you shamed a woman by not hiring her or whatever happens to be, you know, start guarding against that stuff now because you can be sure uh, if they haven't come for your church yet, they probably will eventually. So a mm. dangerous story. Um, these acolytes are all over the place. And, um, you know, you don't want to be caught unaware, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so prepare now because uh, it's dangerous stuff and can certainly probably tear a church apart for oh, sure, yeah. I would imagine. So pretty uh, important story, in my opinion. So we got one more um, news article to get to before we get to Cat Williams. So do you want to read this headline? All right. MLB shortstop accused 
of paying uh, a mother to have sexual relationship with a 14-year-old daughter. It says a shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays recently appeared in a Dominican court after he was accused of having a brief relationship with a 14-year-old girl and providing her mother with a small car and thousands of dollars in exchange for her consent. Um, an anonymous tip provided to the authorities in July 2023 is what eventually ignited the investigation. The anonymous individual said that they had seen a media post that alluded to the possibility that Franco was in a relationship with a 14-year-old girl. Uh, prosecutors said Franco had sent the mother of the girl monthly payments of $1,700 for seven straight months and purchased her a vehicle in order to allow the relationship and let her go out with him whenever she wanted, according to the document that quoted the underage girl. Yeah, so this story is disgusting, right? Of course, it's sad as well. But I wanted to bring it up to kind of make the point that, you know, our modern uh, secular society, this LGBTQ, this gender affirming society has no reason as to why this is wrong, right? It's mm -hmm. apparently against the law, <clears throat> but why would it be against the law for any reason other than hypocrisy? Yeah, what's their moral standard? Why is it wrong? What's the moral standard there? I don't know what it could be. Because there's nothing in modern secular society that, you know, the godless secular society that they could tell you is wrong about this. Because you can't be gender affirming, LGBTQ affirming, abortion affirming, pedophilia affirming, and then say that this is wrong. Right? Like if a 14-year-old mm -hmm. girl could go to the doctor and have her body butchered to make her look like a man... If she could go to the doctor and have a baby killed without recourse, then what actual justification right. does the court have? To Even tell if her? this man was kind of taking advantage of her, like convincing the teenage girl to have a relationship with him, um, how was that different than a gender affirming, you know, doctor encouraging a child in their delusional mind? Um, to go ahead with it. Yeah. That's at least a relationship is something, you know, you can get out of, you can, you can change course well, but with these surgeries. Like that's, that's done. You can't go back and get, you can't fix that. <laughs> well, and to be fair, like the secular godless society that we have can't even tell you why an older man taking advantage of a younger woman is wrong. They can't tell you that that's wrong. They might say, I don't like when other people take advantage of me, but what does that matter what you want, right? Because there is no standard for anything because they all just make it up, right? Um, so, yeah, that's the reason I wanted to point this out, right? Um, and what's interesting is she even has parental consent here. The mom is okaying her to go and have the sexual relationship with this older man. Right, the mom's and dad's don't have to give consent for these kids to go through with surgeries. In yeah, some this kid states. can go and be socially transitioned at school by their teacher without telling their parents at all. And that teacher would be lauded for that. In fact, we've read stories on here about states where if the teacher doesn't encourage that and support it, they can be fined by the state. You know, so here this woman has parental consent and they're even being well compensated. 
Right. But it's somehow illegal, right? So Because our culture tries to teach the kids, you know, pit them against the parents because the parents don't agree with the child's lifestyle. But here we have an agreement. They would applaud this mom. <laughs> they should, <You> know? <laughs> right? They're going to try to be consistent. But instead, the world knows that this is wrong, right? You read this, you see this, an older man taking advantage of a young girl. We know this is wrong, which is why it's illegal. But the secular world can't logically explain why this would be wrong. Mm -hmm. Christians can. We can because we have a, a worldview and a belief system that can uh, tell you why this is wrong. But secular society cannot. <clears throat> so we'll help out the secular world and tell them why this is wrong. It's wrong because it's sexually immoral. Um, and sexual Im immorality is something that's spoken against often in the Bible. Um, they speak against that extensively. And this is prostitution, which the mm -hmm. Bible speaks against prostitution. So do you want to read Leviticus 1929. Do not profane your daughter by making her a harlot, so that the land will not fall to harlotry and the land become full of lewdness. So this isn't just like a about one person here. This is about how it affects society. Yeah. What? Well, and we see yeah. how it's affecting our society as it <laughs> right. sinks deeper and deeper into the yeah. You know, Slaw of despond or whatever uh, mm -hmm. Pilgrim's Progress called it, but um, you know a biblical worldview can tell you why this is wrong. A secular society cannot, even to the point that we know that we're supposed to love our neighbors, we're supposed to treat others the way we want to be treated. Right? That's a biblical principle. So if we say, well, when I was a kid, I wouldn't want to be taken advantage of and abused by an older person. So that older person shouldn't take advantage and abuse the younger person right? Because we treat them the way we want to be treated. Mm -hmm. A biblical worldview can tell you that. A secular one can't. They can only tell you, I personally don't like when that happens. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. Anybody else can do whatever they want because there right. is no standard, right? That's our culture, though. They say, you do what's good for you and don't think about how it affects other people. Like this verse I just read is about thinking of others. Don't do this because it's going to affect a whole society. Right, because if your standard is, you know, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, well, your truth is I don't like being taken advantage of. His truth is I like taking advantage of people. Well, how do those two conflicting worldviews yeah. handle each other? Well, I guess you just let things play out, right? But so the world knows this is wrong. They just can't justify why it's wrong. The Bible can, and that's where Christians need to help them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this story, I think, I just wanted to point it out because it highlights the absurdity uh, of the world that the atheistic and the secularists have given us. Again, it's a world where a 14-year-old can't consent to a sexual relationship with a 22-year-old man. Um, you know, she can't make that decision, but she can go and, you know, chop her breasts off if she wants, get lower surgery if she wants, and destroy her body. Um if she gets pregnant by that 22-year-old man, she can make the decision to go and kill that child, right? Um, but she can't make the decision to have a sexual relationship with the guy. Um, it's just ridiculous, right? And it's funny because Christians are the ones that are often labeled as hypocrites. If you hear that, reject that. Don't allow people to label that um, on us. Our world is run by hypocrites because anyone who claims to be an atheist and yet has any standard whatsoever or tries to impose a standard on anyone else for any other reason, um, mm -hmm. they pull their standard out of thin air. 
Christians have a reason to, to have a standard because God gave us the standard. Atheists, they don't. They just pull out of thin air. Or you could say more specifically, they get it from Satan because you're either led by Christ or you're led by Satan. Mm -hmm. um, there's only two camps. So right. thin air is Satan. I mean, he's the prince of the power of the air. So mm -hmm. that's where you're getting, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just wanted to highlight the absurdity. Um, don't run when people tell you you're a hypocrite or these sorts of things, because if they don't have a belief in God, they're just they're just making things up as they go, right? So mm -hmm. um, God's word is true, and even in this this sense, right? They know it's wrong, so they need to take from God. Yeah, come up with any sense of right or wrong. It would just be nice if they would acknowledge it. Every you just once wonder, in a while, like, you know, the way people don't like you can't reason with people today. Um, just trying to talk common sense to people, and they don't get it. That to me is just a sign they've been given over to a debased mind, which is an act of judgment. Like, are we just seeing judgment? When people, you can't even reason with them. They they can't even see plainly what's wrong physically. Like, because well, we were a society in the past that even for those who didn't believe in God, recognized the value of Christianity and the Bible and what it taught. I mean, you know, but, famous Ben Franklin's yeah. and them, they understood the value of the Bible and writing. And they those. had a sense of morality still. Like, they they don't even see the consequences of their lifestyle and how it does affect society as a whole. So yeah. that's gone. And I'm just like, I think this is just judgment that we have so many people who can't even see these things. Like you don't even have to bring up God is what I mean to say, this is how yeah. it's going to affect this culture. Don't you well, see the negative judging us? I would be stunned. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, people are definitely sort of blind to the damage they cause by their depraved living. Um, and I mean, we're kind of, I think, led down that path of not being aware of it, right? You know, you, the world and technology doesn't even give us a chance to sit and ponder the deep things of life, right? Yeah. As soon as you feel an ounce of remorse, just pull up Instagram and laugh at a cat and then forget about what you've done to, to ruin your child's life. Um, mm. Put it behind you. So definitely some depraved stuff. But I just wanted to point out, um, Christians don't run from the hypocrite label. The world is led by hypocrites and absurd people that make absurd judgments and rulings. Um, we have a standard. We have a reason for the standard. We have, you know, solid ground to stand on. They do not. So um, just wanted to highlight that. But all right, finally, let's get on to Cat Williams. Many of you uh, by now may have heard of the sit-down conversation that Cat Williams had with Shannon Sharp, uh, maybe even listened to it at this point. Uh, it got really big, probably bigger than anybody would have expected. Um Hmm. So I, think, I didn't know who Cat Williams even was. So who? Yeah. So famous comedian, I guess, if you will, actor, Cat Williams, um, been in movies, been doing stand-up comedy for a very long time. But this 
uh, podcast, I guess, that he did with Shannon Sharp. Last I looked, it was over 45 million views on YouTube alone. So it's caused a lot of waves in the entertainment culture. And uh, I think part of the reason is because he, you know, he was addressing a lot of sort of the deception that goes on in the entertainment culture. That was one of the things that he was talking about. But he was also kind of naming names and calling people out. So um, that was pretty interesting. Um, But that's not necessarily what Nikki and I were most interested in and what we want to talk about here today. We want to look at this from the Christian aspect of what Cat Williams discussed. Um, I didn't really think much about that as I was listening to it. I did listen to the whole, you know, two and a half hour podcast, which was seemed more like five hours because it was like two and a half hours of actual talking with like two and a half hours of advertising. So mm-hmm. 45 million views, Shannon Sharp must have made a killing because there was like an advertisement every four minutes. It was miserable to sit through, but we did it all for your sake. <laughs> so really interesting. But after listening to that, I went and saw this story from the Christian Post. So do you want to read this headline? <clears throat> 10 Things Cat Williams Said About God, Satan, Kanye West, T.D. Jakes, in epic Shannon Sharp interview. Yeah, so after listening to it and saw the headline, I thought, oh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, obviously, I heard what he talked about with God and his faith and stuff, but I didn't really think about bringing it up here. Until I saw this and thought, okay, if Christian Post is writing about Cat Williams, then right. the Christian world, I suppose, mm-hmm. may be aware of this more so than I would have thought. That's true. So uh, maybe we should discuss mm-hmm. the things that at least the Christian Post found interesting enough to highlight. So it is kind of weird that they would share something from a worldly man. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like, what does this have to do again, with Christians? Didn't yeah. think about it, but yeah, it was. Mm. And again, I think that just shows how much traction this interview really got. So do you want to read this first paragraph real quick? All right. Uh, Williams, 52, who has long presented himself as an independent and spirited outsider, alleged that many entertainers in Hollywood sold their, sold their soul for success and lamented a push by movie executives to get black men in dresses while pushing a homosexual agenda. Yep. So, you know, again, I think that's a lot of what sort of caused the waves in the entertainment industry. And it was certainly interesting. Um, And if you're already of the mindset to believe that a lot of this stuff goes on, then this was kind of like that red meat to really excite Mm -hmm. you, you know, when he's naming names and calling out, you know. Maybe because he called out someone like T.D. Jakes. That's why Christian Post was like, oh, he named a, a right. pastor. So. And he didn't really elaborate on his T.D. Jakes <laughs> takes too much, but <laughs> certainly did call him out as sort of a, a plant, if you will. Um, part of that Illuminati, as he mentioned. <clears throat> so we thought this was interesting. So we're going to go through the 10 things that Cat Williams said about God, Satan, Kanye West, and all this um, in what I think was a pretty entertaining interview. Um, You know, I thought it was interesting. So we'll go over these 10 points. 
give our thoughts on them and then sort of wrap up with our, you know, kind of overall and final thoughts of Cat Williams. So we'll go ahead and move on to point number one. Do you want to read that point? When asked if he wasn't scared of being blackballed by Hollywood insiders, Williams said Satan can't block his blessings. Says, what do you mean again? These people are not powerful. Satan can't create anything. That includes blessings for his people. That's why. You know what the number one job of somebody that sold their soul in Hollywood is? It's to act like it didn't happen. He says, race is not where the line is drawn. It's God's side and the other side. And we don't care nothing about the other side, period. Yep. Um, and I appreciate what Kat says here. And I appreciate the spirit in which he says it. Because I'm sure it comes from a you know confident, uh, good place. But I think it's untrue. And I think the main point of this entire podcast and what caught so many people's attention exposes that it's untrue, right? Certain or Satan can certainly offer worldly blessings to his people. Uh, and again, that's what he's mm -hmm. exposing in all of this is that these people sold their soul for these worldly blessings. And now they're willing to do X, Y, or Z because, you know, that's what they sold their soul for. So but, Satan can offer these worldly blessings, money, fame, whatever it is. Um, so is he saying his blessings are different than their blessings? Doesn't he live very similar? Yes. Well, and again, you know, so this is what everyone says, like, hey, all these guys are doing stuff wrong and I'm right where they are, but I didn't do it. And you're like, okay. Yeah. How do you distinguish? Not. Those are, my blessings are from God but they're the same blessings. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, but I just think that that point, you know, we can't be tricked into thinking that Satan somehow has nothing to offer this world. I mean, right. Satan even offered worldly blessings to Jesus. Um, Jesus just turned them down, right? He didn't say, you can't give me those things, right? He said, you know, that they're not better than what God has to offer us. So I think we don't do ourselves as Christians a, any service by pretending that Satan has nothing to offer. Cause I think one of the things this could lead you to is uh, what probably many people who profess a faith in Christ yet don't live righteously do is mm -hmm. if you don't think Satan can offer you a blessing, then you would assume anything that looks like a blessing coming your way is from God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I talked the other week, I think about that, uh, the porn star that was on the podcast where she's like, God loves me. God accepts me just as I am. He, you know, he, he approves of what I'm doing and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, hmm. if you don't think that like Satan can offer you blessings that are worldly, but lead you away from God, then, you know, anything that comes your way, you steal from somebody, you rob somebody, you make money in immoral ways and mm -hmm. sinful ways. And you're just like, well, I got a bunch of money, so it's cool. Yeah, sure. I was Ebony Turner and I threw like my God... whole church under the bus for my position. Yeah. But it's a blessing from God. Right. No, like in not. your sin, like God blessed you through your sin, the means that got you your blessing. Yeah. Like don't accredit the Satan's gifts coming from God. That yeah. So I don't think that's something that we should be doing and just pretending that Satan has nothing to offer us. Um, he does. It's just worldly. Right. Um, and it's nothing that a Christ follower should want. You know, um, we should be looking to God for our blessings. And they don't always look the way we want them to look. And 
Um, I mean, you look at your prayer life too. Like, are you praying for things with the wrong motive? Like, why do you want these blessings? Like a lot of people say, well, I want riches so that I can bless others. Yes, you I don't need to riches to bless others. I want to win the lotto so I can donate to my church. But do you tithe now? then you're now? like, what about all the cars you're dreaming about buying and vacation? Like, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. So I just, you know, I appreciate the spirit. I just think he's wrong here. And we can't fall for that trick that like Satan can't offer us anything. He can, um, but we just should reject it. So that's point number one. Okay. Do you want to read? All right, number he two. says he knows. Hold on, let me pull it up. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. He says he knows many things that he shouldn't know in regards to... Yeah, so this was kind of what he was explaining, right? He knows all of these hidden things from the industry and people because Isn't people that what people him want? Things, but... Is he like... <laughs> it just makes me think like people go into like the psychic tarot card readers. I want to know things that, you know, I shouldn't know. I want to know the future. Is he like... Yeah, no, I Here think... Here, he, he can do that, too. He can reveal hidden things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, he's given the insider information or whatever it is. That's but what people like. People like to know things. People do. I don't. Uh, this really has nothing to do with God on this yeah. point, so we're going to just kind of move on past it. He knows stuff. He says, sure. Um, <laughs> not about God, so I'm not overly interested. So let's move on to point number three, because we got enough to talk about already. Do you want to read point number Alrighty. three? He says, he was inspired by the story of Jesus to leave his religious family at age 13. He says, I thought that uh, I was, oh, he says, Jesus was my big homie. He said, at this particular point in my life, my thought is that the Bible is the greatest book that's ever been written that it houses the truth and that it gives you this story of Jesus and that I'm supposed to be like him. So it's already in my head that as soon as I get 13, I'm leaving. Yeah, so he talks about in this interview that at 13, he leaves home and essentially goes to a truck stop and like hitchhikes to Florida where he lives basically homeless from the age of 13. But this point doesn't really make sense to me um, because Jesus didn't leave his family. But I will just mention, because Cat Williams doesn't come right out and say it in the interview, but he sort of alludes to, and the way I understood it, was that his father was abusive. Um, so that is probably what led him to leave. Mm -hmm. So certainly a tough situation in general. And for anyone listening out there, um, we just have to say from a Christian perspective, right? Leaving your parents, running away from your parents, leaving your, your younger siblings is not proper, right? Um, that's not what Christ would teach us to do. We are to honor our father and our mother. We're to submit to their authority over us. Now, mm -hmm. with that being said, if you're in an abusive home, like it sounds like Cat Williams was, um, then that changes the equation, of course. Now, um, maybe at the age of 13, leaving and hitchhiking to Florida, I would not recommend, but seek help however you can. Talk to somebody, get the help you need. Mm -hmm. But if your home life is just, my parents are rigid, my parents you know, make me do things I don't want to do, it's difficult, they're strict, those are not reasons to abandon your family. 
right? You still submit to them. I'm trying to link that to Jesus being like Jesus. There's there's no link there. No, Jesus submitted to the authority of his parents. Mm -hmm. um, they raised him. They taught him. He was a human child raised by his parents. So there is no connection there, really. So for Christians listening out there who are in tough, maybe home situations, they don't like their parents, you, you butt heads. The Christ honoring thing to do is to honor your father and your mother and to submit to their authority. Um, now, not to the point where you're dismissing or going against God's commands in a sense, right? Um, if you're that 14 year old daughter being sold to a 22 year old baseball player for sexually immoral reasons, that's not a reason to submit to your parents, right? But uh, just there's a, a thousand different roads you could take with this yeah. idea. But the point is, we as Christians are to honor our father and our mother, submit to their authority. Cat Williams' case, you're abused, seek help, right? But maybe don't run away to Florida. That's super dangerous also. Right. But yeah. just to make the point that somehow we're connecting me running away from my family to Jesus, I don't think so. Uh, I don't really think that makes sense there. So that's yeah. point number three. Do you want to read point number four? Okay. He turned to prayer when things got tough on his journey. Yep. Uh, he says, I guess I'm 18 or younger. And once I have a child, well, I realized I can't. It's a lot of things that I could use to make money that now is a no-go. So anything with street aspirations that I might have thought about pursuing or being good at, now I'm a single parent and I got to redo these things, he explained. So I need to, I need comedy to really work out for me. Me and God go into extreme conversation where I'm explaining to him that I'm a crash out dummy if he don't send me a lifeline. Like I need something, I need something I can hold on to. Yeah. So, and Nikki's reading Cat Williams quotes. She is not as street and as hood as Cat Williams to... Do you expect me to be? Read his, his way. So, <laughs> oh, you try that one. <laughs> no, you did just fine. Um, but so, you know, really, according to Cat Williams here, he prayed to God basically to get direction for going into comedy. And again, I'm not sure that I buy this only because Cat Williams for most or even all of his comedic life, well, I'll say most because of what he talks about in this interview, I'll say for most of his comedic life has been pretty vile and he's been a pretty perverse comedian. So either, you know, God gave him this direction to go into comedy and supports his vile perverseness, or God gave him this direction and he's completely abused it by going into this perverse, sinful style of comedy. Or what I would say is probably most likely is he had his mind made up yeah. about comedy and he just praying to God was sort of an afterthought. Like you said, I prayed and I told him, I really need this comedy thing to work out for me. Hey, it works out for me. Must be God, right? Um, but, you know, I would say it's unlikely that you're going to pray to God and he's going to lead you into something that's depraved and perverse. Right. Like Cat Williams comedy is. Like God can say no, but you pursue it anyway, and you're successful. That doesn't mean that God made it happen for you. 
You right. can still disobey God. <laughs> and we've heard the people pray before, and we've probably even said it at one point or another, like, you know, I've prayed about something and I'm at peace. And even if you give them advice that like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that's what you should do, you know, um, friends or family member that are living, you know, with partners out of wedlock and stuff like that. And like, well, I'm at peace. And Yeah, we're know, not told to follow peace. We're told to no. follow the word of God. Right. Never I mean, that's we essentially Christ in that. the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, I prayed, and the Lord will take this cup from me. God is taking it. I'm just going to go to sleep now. Yeah. No, he asked that God would take the cup from him, yet your will be done, right? And uh, so it's not always the peaceful... Com- and oftentimes, it's going to be the uncomfortable route, right? Because our sin in our flesh mm-hmm. wants what our sin in our flesh wants. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to feel our... peace. That's going to feel at peace. It's going to feel comfortable. And we're going to think that is the peace of God, whatever you're feeling comfortable doing. Yeah. I was going to get up for school, but my body felt like it wanted to stay in bed. So I just slept and I'm at peace with it. Like, well, you just got fired and you just got kicked out of college. I'm at peace with it. Well, you made a bad decision. Yeah. We can't say like the feeling of peace is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I just want to bring that up. That's not what Cat Williams said, but a lot of people who claim to be Christians say that that's how they follow the voice of God is following wherever they feel at peace with. And then they ignore the the wise counsel of godly friends and family um, and follow a feeling and say, no, that's the Holy Spirit, but they're rejecting the word of God and scripture that people have brought up to them. Yeah, we don't want to do that. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Cat Williams, you may be saying, well, how do you know God didn't lead him into comedy? I'm just going to play a small snippet of this uh, clip here. So uh, I will bleep out to the best of my ability all that uh, you shouldn't listen to with your good Christian ears. So let's hear what sort of comedy we're supposed to believe God left Cat or led Cat Williams into. Meanwhile, Michael Jackson is freed in a and smelling like little boys and I'm supposed to be excited. Michael, I know I'm supposed to be happy because he used to be black. I know, I know, I remember. That Michael forgot he was a he forgot he was a he forgot he was a that it was us supporting him. We had that big grease bell pepper nose. That was us. So, uh, not a lot to listen to there. Uh, that was just because most shameful of shameful and embarrassing that people would laugh at something like that. Right. So it's pretty, um, I would say, uh, crude at best comedy. And that's just a one snippet. You know, when I first God blessed that. And when I first listened to this podcast with Shannon Sharp, you know, I've, known who Cat Williams is, probably caught a snippet or two of his comedy over the years, but I thought, I've never really listened to Cat Williams. You know, I've I've seen him in movies, um, you know, back in my younger days where I would was a big fan of movies like Friday and Next Friday and all of that. Um, but I never actually listened to Cat Williams comedy. So I thought, well, I'll just go on YouTube and listen to some. And I went and found, I it might've been this video, but a different part of it. And I think I listened to it for like, 12 seconds and it was just like a tidal wave of cursing and perverseness and i was like 
Oh my God, I can't even watch this. So um, very crude, very perverse comedy style. So um, is this what he prayed and God led him into? Again, I would say it's just unlikely. Um, so that was point number four. Do you want to read point number five? Having range and being able to perform in churches. He says, in the beginning, part of my framework is that I'm tailoring every show to this audience. And that's how I was able to show my range and show that I was better than my competitors. That I'm Cat Williams, he said. I was still doing clean comedy. I was still going to churches and doing 45 minutes of stand-up at the church with no curse words, no sex, drug material, no none of that, just straight stand-up. And then I was doing everything else, he recalled. That was the range. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Yikes. <laughs> I don't think that's a good uh, look there. Because that's basically, I said what people wanted to hear. Not necessarily what I believe. Like, I knew the audience. I needed the gig. So I just went and said what they wanted to hear. But isn't Not that necessarily... going against what he's saying about you know, calling out everybody in Hollywood. Like, don't you do as they do when you're there? Yeah, in like a sense, you know, like he's, hey, they made him put a dress on and I wasn't willing to, to put on a dress. And you're like, but you do what you got to do. Well, but you also went you, to like the inner city comedy club and they expected perverse, crude comedy. So you gave it to them. Right. Is that really any different? That's very hypocritical. Um, of course. Yeah. So um, not a good, you know, and I don't know if this was supposed to be kind of brought up as like, hey, I, you know, I can even go and do some good, clean comedy. But like, it's not clean comedy out of conviction because there are comedians like I think Tim Hawkins, I think, is one. He's kind of a Christian comic. Oh. And yeah, clean yeah. comedy right. for the most part. It's not an <clears throat> act, you would say, whereas he's basically saying like, no, I'm a, I'm a good actor. I can go to your church and put on a good show, but then I can go downtown and I can put on a good show for them too. It makes no difference. I got a wide range. And this was more to highlight his skills as a comedian. Because um, in the interview, he kind of talks about how he's, you know, a uh, better comedian than all the other comedians in a sense, right? He's better um, because he's double-minded. Well, that he has range, right, is what he says. You know, I have yeah. range. I can, you know, can give a good comedic performance to a whole range of yeah. different crowds. I don't like how he's painting God. That's what bothers me, that God will bless your sinful lifestyle so that you can have the world, the blessings of the world. Right, and it's God almost like, that. you know, I've been blessed by God to have this wide range of talent to where I can go and you know, give a good, clean, comedic performance and a perverse, wicked one because God has blessed me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't see this as a positive aspect to Cat Williams if this is a faith, you know, that he's supposed to be espousing here. Like, I can go play church when I need to and then I can go back to the world when I need to. Not a good look, in my opinion. Again, to me, that's someone that's just an actor, not somebody that's kind of doing something out of conviction. So, yeah. Um, not a good look, in my opinion, from Cat Williams. And that was point number five, so point number six. 
He has a pull it up real quick. Okay. A broad appreciation for religions. He says, because my particular background was already religious and super strict, I didn't find out about other religions by reading about them. I went to the religion. I don't want to learn from Jewish people from outside. I want to be in a synagogue. I don't want to learn from Muslim people. I want to go to a mosque. I don't want to hear about the Baptists or the Pentecostals. I want to go to their church and see. So that was the religious discovery I went through in that period. So earlier in this interview, Kat talked about how from a very young age, you know, he knew the Bible was true. You know, he talked about how Jesus was a big homie. And he even says in there that, again, from a young age, he wanted to be Jesus's best friend. That was kind of the one things that he said. But um, he wanted to be Jesus's friend or he wanted Jesus to be his homie and well, and again, you know, prayers. I don't know what age necessarily. Well, I guess he said at 13, he wanted, you know, Jesus was his homie. Um, and I, that's kind of a, a kid mindset of faith in a sense. But um, even with that, right, you know, the Bible's true. You believe it's true. You believe in Jesus. You want to be his best friend. So you obviously believe in him, right? But then to go and say that you want to experience every other religion firsthand. Mm. Um, and to me, you know, I'm not accusing Kat of anything necessarily. This is just my opinion based on what I've heard and what I've read so far about this interview. <clears throat> this sounds to me far more like an atheist than a Christian, because this is something you hear a lot from atheists, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you talk to just your random atheist and some, you know, they've read every holy book under the sun. They've been to every different religion and they've determined God wasn't real. Now, we know the vast majority of these atheists are lying. Um, and I'm not saying that Cat Williams here is lying. I don't know if he did or didn't, didn't do any of this. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would just be skeptical of his love for Jesus here because, you know, when I look at somebody who I know loves Jesus, John MacArthur, um, and something that he said, I probably mentioned on here before, he talked about how he went to seminary, learned his education. His dad was a pastor as well. And then he was going to go and get his master's degree and went to a different college. And they were telling him what they taught. And he says that he told the basically counselor register that like, I've spent my life learning the truth. I'm not going to go and spend the next two years learning lies. Mm -hmm. And to me, that seems like a more sold out Christian viewpoint. Yeah, definitely. I know the truth. Why would I go and spend all of my time learning untruths? Well, I think it is something to point out how he says he wants to experience like what religions are by being in their churches or synagogues. Um, That tells me he got his view of God uh, in Christianity just from his experience in his church. So he's kind of saying he didn't read the Bible to really know what it's about. We shouldn't get our view of God from our church experience is my point. So even though he visited, if he did visit these other churches and synagogues, that doesn't mean he understands right. understands it at all because he obviously doesn't understand what Christianity is and he grew up in the church, so he got his view. Well, and I think his parents were, he doesn't outright say what religion they were. I thought it was something like Jehovah's Witness, maybe, uh, but I could be mistaken there. But, you know, he does talk in the interview that when he was young, like eight, he read 3,000 books a year. Oh, yeah, that is Which, 
don't know that I believe that's true. Um, but so if that were true, right, you would assume that he's probably read the Bible uh, as well. But should I ask him in the interview, what are your top five favorite books you read when you were eight? Well, and it wasn't about Christian living necessarily. Right. Um, it was about other things. But uh, to me, right, when you make that claim, like you said, I'm I'm looking, I'm trying to experience these other religions. To me, that's more of an agnostic or an atheistic viewpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, I'm searching spiritually for something, mm -hmm. you know, so maybe I like what the Bible teaches. I've been raised with the Bible, but I'm still looking for other things, you know, what's right, what's wrong. So I'm going to these other religions mm -hmm. to, not, not that there isn't some value, right? And there are people that do this and we're, we're thankful for them that they go and read the Quran and study it so that they know how to argue against it in um, it, like an apologetics kind of way. But I don't get that sense from what Cat Williams is saying that he went as sort of an apologetics mindset to go and learn what these other religions are so that he can uh, are, you know, speak against them in a sense. It was more just, I want to experience them so I know what they are, which again, seems more agnostic at best, but atheistic maybe at worst. So I don't think that's the right mindset for somebody who says that they know the Bible is true and they know that Jesus is real. Mm -hmm. um, because if you know the Bible is true and you know Jesus is real, that's enough study for a lifetime to mm -hmm. learn the Bible. And we're going to get right. into that with our Bible topic at the end of, uh, after the Cat Williams stuff that we have. So, you know, um, just again, struck me as somebody who's more searching spiritually rather than believing that they're you know, like on solid ground spiritually. Mm -hmm. That's the way I took it. So that was point number six. Point number seven here. Uh, why Cat Williams adopted seven kids. Yep. So don't really have any um, paragraphs to pull out of here, but... Mm -hmm. They bring up in the interview that Cat Williams adopted seven kids. And I believe, um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think in the interview they mentioned that he has nine kids total and seven of them are adopted. And I think that on its own is fine, right? It might even be a good thing, a great thing on its own. I mean, Cat Williams is a man of, I'm assuming, great financial means. I'm sure he's very well off. Um, so taking these kids on could be seen as a good thing on one hand. Uh, however, um, you know, Cat Williams talks in this interview how he's never been married, but that he keeps multiple women around the house. And, you know, he didn't come right out and say it necessarily, but he gave off the impression. Well, he did come out and say that they're there to sort of serve him, right? They cook for him, but he made it, he gave off the impression that they're there to serve him, if you will. He didn't say anything about they're there to help take care of the children he adopted? No. Uh, he makes the point that he takes care of the kids. Hmm. So these women were there to serve him in a sense. You know, he talks about them cooking for him. He even talks about how they're there to roll blunts for him because he doesn't roll blunts for himself anymore with the weed he smokes. But again, I got the impression from his sort of discussion that, um, it was sexual with these women as well. Uh, again, he didn't come right out and say that, but that's what I was picking up. But he also, you know, he mentions in this that, you know, he's gone to strip clubs his whole life. Um, 
and obviously if he has two kids that weren't adopted and he's never been married, then that's um, sex outside of wedlock, of course, right? So um, that's what I picked up from it. And I would just say, you know, obviously it seems like a good thing for a financially well-off man to adopt a bunch of kids, but bringing a, kids into that sort of lifestyle, I don't necessarily consider a good thing. Um, you know, he's bringing, you know, so you add on to that, right? He smokes a ton of weed by his own admission. I think he said 20 blunts a day, um, which oh, is a wow. lot of weed. He seems to drink a lot still. Um, so I don't consider that a great situation for kids to go in. You know, if you're the kind of person who you just think financial prosperity is the most important thing in life, then you would probably think that this is a good thing. And um, his life doesn't look appealing at all. Right. So, I mean, you're bringing these kids into a household where, you know, you have women who are just sort of there to serve the father but also it sounds like serve him sexually with multiple women and multiple partners. And they may not be the same women that are even around. They could be constantly changing. I don't know. Right. But then drug use, alcohol use, um, wow. all that sort of stuff. Not a great situation. Now there would be the argument, I suppose that like if these kids were adopted from, you know, some war torn country like Somalia and they were starving to death. Well then, Anything's better than that. I mean, Maybe, spiritually but... speaking, no. You're being corrupted. You're losing your soul. You're being trained to go after Satan's kingdom. Yeah, so it's At definitely At least when dangerous. you're in a desperate situation, like physically suffering, there's a blessing in that, and only God can help you. Yeah. And this is like, you're essentially raising kids in that world and mindset that like right. all good or like all blessings must be from God, you know? So mm -hmm. no matter how I live, if it seems to be positive in a worldly sense, then I'm blessed by God. So smoking weed, sexual immorality, drunkenness, all this sort of stuff. Uh, it's fine. I'm blessed. So this must be doing what's right in God's sight, which is not a good way to, you know, if you're concerned with the kids' souls, not great. Not great for sure. So uh, that was point number seven on his yeah. adoption of these seven kids. So on to point number eight. Yeah, point number eight is just on marriage. Yeah, so, so we'll kind of not focus too much on this one either. We just kind of talked about his marriage there. He's never been never married. Been, yeah. Um, we don't know what the mother of his two kids. I, no, he doesn't mention who they are. But again, right, he mentions that um, he's been with plenty of women in strip clubs, again, potentially two kids out of wedlock. I could be mistaken on that. Forgive me if I am, but two kids out of wedlock. So uh, I don't think that this is something, you know, the apostle Paul would approve of, right? Uh, this is sexual immorality. This is not good for anybody. Not good for Cat Williams. Certainly not good for you. This is not a lifestyle you should emulate. Um the proper lifestyle, you should get married from a very young age. You should have children, lots of them. And you should live a loving, joyful life with your spouse, raising your kids, fear and admonition of the Lord. That's the goal. That's what we should be all striving for. So um, again, this there's anytime you bring up get married, there's always a like, well, Paul said it's better not. 
this is not what Paul was saying. Oh, yeah. Cat Williams is not the example Paul is giving, right? So um, this is not Apostle Paul. This is sexual immorality. Uh, so that leads us to point number nine. Right. Advice to children. He says, I don't teach anybody anything that's over 18. I've done the work I was going to do. But as kids, I really just tried to teach the things that can't be bought. Your integrity, trying to live your life in a way that you yourself could be proud of if you had to look back on it. Yep. Um, and again, on this point, I don't think Cat Williams' heart is bad or in a bad place here. I just think this is bad advice. Um, especially for a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, I think this isn't great advice uh, because I don't think you should be focused on just living your life necessarily in a way that you can be proud of looking back on. Mm -hmm. um, it's fine. I think if you can get to the end of the end of your life and you look back and you're proud of it or whatever, that's, I guess, a good thing to do, but it shouldn't be. I mean, I don't want to be on goal. my deathbed being prideful. <laughs> well, and I don't think it's, pride yeah. that he's talking about, but being proud. Like I'm proud of the kids that we've raised. Well, that, I'm not prideful in the right. Kids. He just means don't look back on your life and be ashamed of the way you lived. But yeah, don't waste your ashamed, life. Ashamed. You should be ashamed before God with the way he's living. Like ashamed before who? According to what standard would you be proud of yourself or ashamed of yourself? Like we should Everything that we do in life, we, you don't have to, I mean, you should live, yeah, day by day. And the question shouldn't be, would I be proud of myself if I went ahead and did this thing? Um, the question should be, will this glorify God or myself? Is this something that's going to bring shame to God's name? Especially if you you say you're a Christian, you represent God, is what you're doing your life bringing glory to him or shame to his name. Yeah. And I think that's the advice that should be given is that you should live your life in a way that's sold out to Jesus, you know, reckless abandon, right. To follow Christ and serve him wherever you can. Um, you know, righteousness, service, love, those should be the things that you're striving for. And it would, you know, if you live that way, then sure. At the end of your life, you may look back and be proud of what you've done. <clears throat> but I think the advice that Christian parents should be giving to their kids and teaching them is to serve Jesus with everything you have, um, put him first above everything, you know, and then at the end of your life, right, you can be proud of it. But like, at the end of my life, I could look back on it and be like, you know, I'm proud that I was an early riser. And I went to the gym every day and I ate healthy, you know, and I was uh, saved my money. You know, that, those were good things. I'm proud of that. But who cares, right? But the if, question, at the end of the day, if I don't think, love Jesus, and I yeah. don't serve him. Like, how did your life affect other people? It's not that you did something because what does it matter? Like, what did you do in life that's going to have um, like a ripple effect? How did, is, did you change anybody else's life? Um, yeah, not so. Just, not that you had good habits. <laughs> I don't know that I would. So maybe saying that this is bad advice from Cat Williams isn't proper either. I would say this isn't the best advice. Saying to live your life in a way that you can be proud of, proud of isn't the best advice you can give to Especially a as a guy that claims to, you know, have a relationship with Jesus. Right. So um, a Christian should be, you know, I don't know any other way that a Christian 
could live their life and look fondly on than a life of service to the Lord. Um, I mean, with our culture, they want you to be proud of you doing you, you doing whatever is right in your own eyes. That's not something to be proud of. So you have yes, to base I'm so this proud on... proud that from the time I was 16 to <clears throat> 37, I lived a wildly promiscuous life and had multiple abortions while I chased well, the my financial goals. the culture would tell you to be goals, proud of that. Right? Like, not they something to be proud want of. want you to be proud of your sinful lifestyle, that you yeah. shouldn't be ashamed of what is your truth. So again, I think yeah. Kat's heart was in the right place here, and I don't think this is probably bad advice. It's just not the best advice that a Christian should give to their children. It could just go the wrong way. So, yeah. Um, but that's point number nine, so we will move on to our last point here, which is point number 10. All right, it's on Kanye West. Uh, he says, I suspect that we're pretty awful people. If we say that somebody's got a mental illness and then we watch what they do, William said when asked about rapper and music, mogul uh, Kanye West, if you say somebody's got special needs, then why would you be watching them and holding them accountable like everybody else? Wouldn't you grade them on a curve? When you go, woo, this guy? Because I mean, what are we reacting to? Yeah, so this may not seem like a spiritual point, but I do think it does have some spiritual truth to it. Because this is something America likes to do. I've liked to do at times, and I'm ashamed of it. Um, and I don't get why we like to do it. Um, look at somebody with what we would assume is uh, a disability or a, a handicap, whether mental or physical, and like make fun of them or deride them. You know, it made me think of, you know, I post videos on TikTok for the podcast and, you know, different things, Bible verses and scripture and stuff. And <clears throat> when I'm on TikTok, I remember seeing, I don't see them as often anymore, but I used to see these videos of a gentleman, I think he was in a foreign country, but he would, he had these gigantic biceps because he was injecting synthol into him, which is like this oil mixture that sort of hardens and makes your muscles look big, but it's very dangerous. Um, it's doesn't grow your muscles at all. It's essentially filling your like skin and stuff with hardened oil. Like it's really bad, but he did it and his arms were gigantic. Um, and he would just kind of sort of stand on the screen and sort of flex them and act weird and do goofy things. And he would get hundreds of thousands of views on these videos. And then you know, he like got so big, I'm sure he went and got like awful and absurd plastic surgery done. And it just made me think as I watched a couple of these videos, because at first I watched him, it was like, what is this doing? Like, this is so bizarre. But then I was like, this guy has a mental handicap, like only a somebody with a mental disability would do something like this to their body. And then I'm like, man, we've got millions potentially of people that just are getting joy out of like, making fun of this guy for being pretty much disabled mentally. And I was like, what are we watching here? Why are we finding joy in this? And um, like that, I think, think highlights sort of a spiritual sickness that we have, that we find joy out of these people who are suffering from an illness mentally or, you know, in their body some way. And, you know, he talks about Kanye West here. We did the same thing to him, right? Everyone's like, oh, he's bipolar. But then he says something like, this guy's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
well, if he has a mental handicap, why are you making fun of him? Mm-hmm. It made me think even of President Biden, right? If so many people in the nation claim he's got dementia, he's losing his mind, he's going senile, whatever you want to say about him, but then you sort of make jokes about how stupid he is and all this sort of stuff. Well, if you've already said he has a mental handicap, why would you insult the man? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you can make claims about his policies or him as a, but right, we don't. We make fun of him about his mental abilities. Well, then why are you mocking somebody who has a disability? And I think it points to a spiritual sickness that, mm-hmm. again, I've experienced to my own shame and regret. Um, definitely repenting of that and trying to get better at it. But uh, I think this is a good point. It doesn't seem spiritual, but I think it is for us to find joy in someone else's yeah. misery or pain, if you will, um, should highlight something to us. Yeah, I think I like what he said there. Um, that's, yeah, the one thing I think that he may have brought up that we can take and look at our own hearts. What are we doing? Yeah, definitely. So this is a There is some mirror. good to take away from this, you know, with all the things we point out that he says that are off. This is this is some wisdom here. <laughs> yeah. So those are the 10 um, points that Christian Post thought were noteworthy. Again, not all of them about God, but I think all of them pretty interesting. And the interview as a whole, I think, was really interesting. Um, but that's not what I want to finish talking about. The point that I want to bring up, uh, obviously, like the title of this podcast says, Cat Williams is not a Christian role model, um, you know, might not be a Christian at all, um, but certainly not a Christian role model. And I think we as Christians need to be careful if and how we praise him. You know, again, he's highlighted on the Christian post, which is a, you know, this isn't Christianity today. That's a very progressive, liberal sort of Christian outlet. Christian post is generally pretty mm. um, traditional. So yeah, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't tell somebody else that he is a Christian because then I'm telling them, model your life after him. That's a Christian. I wouldn't tell anybody. I would say he's not a Christian. I don't see any fruit. He's compare him to the world and compare him to what scripture says um, about somebody who is saved, who follows the Lord. I mean, Right. And that's what we're doing here, I mean, right? Because anytime we come out on this podcast and mention like somebody might not be saying people get, you know, who are you to say yada, yada, and you're not supposed to judge. Well, we're judging that's what with we're, scripture. We are supposed to do. We should look at people's lives and say like, hey, is there good fruit or not? And then should I emulate that or not? Right. right. Paul tells us in first Corinthians, I think, um, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So then if we're supposed to imitate him, we should look at his life and figure out what to imitate. So same thing here, right? We're looking at Cat Williams' life and be like, what should I emulate? Not a lot spiritually. He's not imitating Christ. That's um, what we do. We can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, first figure out, is he really imitating Christ? If not, yeah, don't follow him. Yeah, and that's why, um, you know, I think... You know, and obviously we don't have national reach right now on this podcast. Lord willing, someday we will. Um, but be careful how and if we praise him, because again, that would encourage them and people like him to live in a way that's um, not, I guess, what you would expect of 
sound biblical living, it would just encourage them to continue living that way and mm-hmm. thinking and um, believing that they're doing what's right when in fact they're living opposite to how Christ would want them to. So, you know, Cat Williams, you know, he mentions Kanye West here and really probably all celebrities that at one point or another, because there have been others, right, that sort of give the old hat tip to Jesus, if you will. Um, they're not spiritual role models. Um, and, you know, it just made me think like, well, why would we, you know, look to make someone like a Kanye West a, a role model for Christians or Cat Williams or these different celebrities? And I just think it's that Christians don't really have faith in their faith. Like, and you mm. should have faith in your faith. Um, you know, we don't need whatever celebrity it happens to be to come along and believe in God to give some validity to your faith. And I think we live in a world so much where the culture is Christians are stupid or Christians are losers or they're boring or yada. So mm-hmm. then when you see someone who's cool and rich and, you know, like Kanye mm-hmm. West or Cat Williams, and they seem like they're, I mean, you especially know, cool the, the young culture. kids, especially for yeah, teenagers. Yeah. You know, and obviously th- this is about uh, teaching this to young kids, right? Like yeah. a 60 year old Southern yeah. Baptist mom is not being uh, assured of her faith because of Cat Williams. Right. But a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kid who maybe lives in an inner city, um, <clears throat> they might be, right? They see this sort of lifestyle. Um, I think this is just what Christian culture has done. They try to make Christianity look cool. Yeah. Um, And so these people who, you know, they try to make, I don't know, I just think even with the music, like the worship, they try to make it sound worldly, like the style of it and everything. Right. And I mean, so they would also, these same people would point to be like, ooh, Cat Williams, he's a Christian. He's so cool. Look to him a little bit and see how cool he is. And to make Christianity seem like it's cool. It's not meant to draw people in that way. No, I mean, this is just an outpouring of the seeker-sensitive idea it of is. church, right? That like, we're going to look like the world so that the world will want to be a part of us when the Bible teaches us to not look like the world so that we might entice the world to see the difference. Yeah, you don't um, entice the world difference uh, there through the worldly ways. And sure. then, you know, like trick them. We'll lure them in with this. It's like, no, the Holy Spirit draws you, not worldly things. Yeah. So I don't think that we should look at the, you know, Cat Williams or any of these celebrities as spiritual role models. And um, the things that they say and the things that they do, I think, should be received with a lot of hesitancy and a lot of scrutiny. Um, But I do think it's right to have spiritual mentors. Again, Paul tells us to emulate him, to be imitators of him. And I think you know, for me personally, this show is named after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. He's a great spiritual role model for me uh, to look at his life and his faith and what it led him to. That's something I want to emulate. Even if I disagree maybe on some theological points, you know, I can look at Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life and faith and ministry and go, that's something I should emulate. And, you know, if you have a local pastor, that should be a life of faithful service that you should emulate. And just as an FYI, if you go to a church and you don't see your pastor as someone you should emulate, go find a different church, right? Like if you're an Abyssinian and Miss Turner is up there trying to um, huck her book at you, go find a different church, right? Find somebody that you can emulate and you want to emulate their faith and their lifestyle and stuff like that. Um, And then, you know, if you're looking for answers to spiritual issues or biblical issues, 
your local pastor, right? Or go to the Bible. Um, that's where you want to go. Don't seek out a celebrity interpretation mm. or lifestyle. Again, not to say that there aren't good Christians in Hollywood and music industry and all that. I'm just saying, um, go to churchmen to get, you know, you really direction just, in your faith. I mean, with the way things are today and so many churches go on the wide path, we have to just read the word for ourselves. We, yeah, I mean, it should be the the foundation of where you go, right? The, I mean, we the sh- always should version. anyway, not because of the time we're in. It's just that when you get lazy and you just, you know, heap up all the teachers that tickle your ears, you don't see the need for scripture. Well, and more important than that, not more important, reading is important, but doing what you you read, mm-hmm. that's the hard part, right? Because we can read a lot and dismiss a lot. Do what it says. That's That's, you know... Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers also, right? That's what James tells us. So it's great if Cat Williams is saved. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure based on what I've seen and heard from him that he is. I have strong doubts about his lifestyle. But either way, my point is, don't look at him as any sort of a spiritual leader or a model or template to follow. Mm -hmm. Please don't. That's dangerous for your soul. And I do think it's also interesting, right, that he brought up Kanye West because that was one of the person or one of the people I thought of when I was listening to Cat Williams, um, because we basically did the same thing with Kanye West, right? If you guys remember, a few years ago he made like a gospel record. I think he won like a bunch of awards from like Christian awards for his. Why did he do record. that? Did he think for a time he wanted to just reach a different crowd? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. He claims, I think, to be a believer of some sort, but, you know, I don't really know why he would do it. But I think, you know, not all of Christianity, but there was a certain crowd of Christianity that sort of rallied around Mm -hmm. um, Kanye for this music. But then also, right, he came out and supported Donald Trump, Mm. which in a lot of Christian circles, support for Donald Trump is the same as belief in Christ. They're like almost identical, it seems like. Uh, So... You know, he did that. And then it was like pretty quickly we realized that like, I don't know if Kanye is like fully on the team here. Um, It is really exciting when, you know, somebody like that coming out of the music industry or Hollywood that you hear they've turned to Christ. Yeah. It gets you excited because you're like, wow, they're turning away from all that. If all that we hear about it is true, the wickedness that goes on. But and then. I don't know. Right. It's and that's a disappointment when <laughs> like you should get excited when someone I mean, right, the Bible tells us that there's like, you know, celebrations in heaven when a, a mm-hmm. someone turns from their sin. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're excited that someone else got snatched from hell, that's yeah. great. But if you're excited because you're like, see, I'm not a loser, that's not the right yeah, mindset. That shouldn't be the mindset. <laughs> uh so why is this important to Christians? Why is Cat Williams? Why spend all of our time discussing Cat Williams and his faith? And you know, I think that there's a lot of people, many people out there that claim a Christian faith, but live very worldly lives. And they don't need more encouragement to continue living that way. Uh, They really need to be called out of that worldly living. And Cat Williams, to me, you know, he's in the same boat as like Deion Sanders. We talked about Deion Sanders before. He's kind of a rich, successful person who claims a faith in God while not adjusting their lifestyle in any way. Right. Dion, you know, he's just as prideful, arrogant, egotistical as he's ever been. 
yet claims a Christian faith. And here's Cat Williams, perverse, crude, vile, drugs, alcohol, immorality, yet claims Christ. And it's like, I'm just going to do what I've always done, live the way I've always lived, and I'll well, slap Christ on it. I wonder if this okay. is just part of Satan's plan to lure in or lure away people from the faith to be drawn to these people. Well, just I'm using sure them is. to say you're Christian. And there you go. You capture the hearts of Christians. And then, you know, we, we so easily set up idols for ourselves. We idolize people. And then that's how he, I think that's how he might capture the, the teens because the parents who are ignorant approve. Ooh, look at this. He's a Christian now. Don't tell your kids that some wicked person like that is a Christian now. Don't even point your kids to him. Like this guy that was really cool. And now he's a Christian and, and now you can listen to his music. Well, and then now they're going to fall into listening to his other music that was secular beforehand. Don't listen to Cat Williams stand up uh, and think you're a Christian. Right. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's a, a working of the devil. I mean, just the same as I would say like the Andy Stanleys of the world are a working of the devil. Mm -hmm. Anyone who tells you you can live a completely sinful lifestyle and have no sanctification yet be filled with the spirit is leading you on the wide road. So this to me is not Christian. And I think we would do people uh, or even Cat Williams himself a disservice by misleading them that they're on a righteous path simply because maybe they don't like espouse the outright and blatant satanic stuff that many others do. Like mm -hmm. he wasn't up there saying he drinks baby's blood or anything like that. So we're like, well, I guess that's fine. No, he's still, um, we don't do them any good by, you know, claiming like, well, he said Jesus's name, so he's probably a Christian. Um, and not, we can't also fool ourselves into thinking that if we live like Cat Williams, you know, we smoke barrels of weed a day, get drunk all the time, live sexually immoral, talk in these perverse and profane ways that we can still just be Christians like anyone else. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to confirm with outward evidences of of his work. He's going to confirm his own work in someone's life. Like, why would yeah. God be like, I did this, and but just leave them in their sin? Like, there's no, there's nothing to give glory to God's name about in that person. No, I don't think so. And um, so that's why I think it's important. And so what should Christians do about it? Uh, I think we should recognize the danger that cats in spiritually. You know, I think his lifestyle is the lifestyle of someone that's distant from God. You know, he can say what he wants about Jesus, but if it's like Nikki said, it's not reflected or evident in his lifestyle, then it's just words. Um, and that's the same with you, right? It's the same with me and Nikki and all of us, right? If, um, if the spirit is in us, then you will be sanctified. It will happen. That is part of the process. The mm -hmm. spirit is good at his job. He will sanctify you. And if you aren't being sanctified, that's good evidence that the spirit is not in you. Yeah, you're so. not going to resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Like your will is not stronger than God's will. His will is going to be done in your life. Right. So if you you know, claim to be a Christian and your lifestyle has never changed or gotten more depraved, that's good evidence that the spirit's not there. So um, pray for Cat Williams. If he's on your heart, you know, um, pray for him, but just take care of your own walk with Christ, right? 
you know, the Bible tells us the path is narrow and that it looks different than the world, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself saying, acting, doing all the same things, just like the world does, that's a good indication that you're not on the narrow path, yeah. but rather you're on that wide road we're, that leads to destruction. We're called to strive to enter the narrow gate and to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So there is, yeah, dying to the flesh. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a hard work. Well, it's it the says hardest the way work is narrow, we'll ever do. Uh, the way is hard, mm -hmm. and there's few who find it. So, um, yeah, consider all those, consider your path <laughs> for sure. So how should we pray about it? I think you should pray that you would love Christ more than all the pleasures of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, pray that you wouldn't label godly the things that the Lord hates as well. Yeah. You know, um, because you're saying this is what God approves of because we're afraid of offending people in saying they're not a Christian. So don't say that someone's a Christian when they're obviously not because you are really muddying the name of God by worrying more about how you're labeling somebody a Christian or not a Christian. Yeah. Um, how does that reflect on God's character? No, I think the better mindset would be pray instead that you would hate the things that God hates. Yeah. Uh, and that you would love what he loves, right? So Cat seems to be in the world. He seems to love the world. Mm -hmm. And that puts his soul in jeopardy. So, you know, pray that that wouldn't be the case with you. Um, because God does hate things. Um, he hates unrighteousness and um, sinfulness. And we should pray that we would hate those things also. So, um those are the 10 points on Cat Williams, our thoughts on Cat Williams. Um, pray for him. I'm, you know, glad that he's not, you know, outright, you know, demonic, I suppose, but I think there's a lot to be concerned about. So Well, the good thing about him coming on here and at least saying he has a relationship with Christ is maybe now people can say, hey, you know, they can kind of warn him and share scripture with him. So I mean that's the only good that could be about this. Um, yeah, hope about so. this interview. Yeah, hopefully he would be receptive of it, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So a lot of good, interesting stuff from Cat Williams. Um, but we'll move on from Cat into our Bible topic to end this episode. And before we get to the Bible topic, if you haven't already, um, whatever platform you're on, consider taking a second, drop a like, subscribe, follow. Uh, leave a comment or a review. All of that stuff does help us out and we appreciate it greatly. If you're in the mood to go shopping, we do have some affiliate links down in the show notes. If you use one of those, it helps to show out at no extra cost to you. We'd also be appreciative of that as well. Um, helps me buy the technological equipment I need to keep this thing going. So, um, but all right. Let's move on here into our Bible topic. So for our Bible topic, like I mentioned, we're going to be starting a new sort of uh, topic, if you will, right? A new series, whatever you want to call it. We're going to finish Knowing Sin, um, but this was a learning lesson for me. Maybe don't pick a book with 19 chapters, because that's a whole lot of Bible topic been, to have to get into. I don't into. know how long we've been doing that book for. For a long time. And it's good. It's important. We want to talk well, about sin, and we'll finish the book. We were in Florida. Remember we used to go to um, Panera Bread Wednesday nights? 
Well, and some of this is my fault study. too, because I'm scatterbrained. So I let weeks and weeks go by and forget to do a Bible topic. So it's probably been over um, a year. Yes, yeah. it has been. I'm we sure. will finish it though, but we're going to have a bit of overlap here as we transition into the new topic and finish out the old topic. And hopefully this new topic will take us for the rest of the year. Again, I can be a bit forgetful. So there may be weeks that go by without us discussing it, but uh, that's going to be what we're talking about. So Really, the idea of the Bible topic is going to be what Nikki and I discussed last week was our New Year's resolution, mm -hmm. and that's really trying to spend this year formulating our thoughts and beliefs on the end times. So today, uh, we just want to lay out really the terms that we're going to be looking at and discussing over the next year. Just kind of put them out on the table, you know, so when we talk about end times views, we're kind of talking about two different areas. So we're kind of talking about your views on the book of Revelation as a whole, mm -hmm. but then also your views on Revelation chapter 20 in the millennium. Mm -hmm. um, so there's going to be kind of like four-ish views on the book of Revelation as a whole, and then three views on the millennium. So seven sort of total views, but they sort of match up together, right? Like, you know, you, yeah. they kind of go together, right? So um, I put these definitions together in a little bit using some resources, and I don't think I even have them right. <laughs> so as I put this together, you know, some people call, you know, their view on Revelation something different. You know, it might be um, futurist or a dispensationalist, so they use different terms. So it was difficult for me to kind of put them together. And then even after I put them together, I went and watched and read some more stuff. And I was like, I think my, I think I lined these up wrong. So again, that's part of the learning process. There's a lot of terms. I actually have like a note on my phone now, like a running note that I keep of different Christian terms that I hear. And I'm like, I guess I need to like, know what that what one means one does now. that fit with? Yeah. So, and this is why we're on the show doing this. We're enlisting your help here to help us formulate our thoughts as we go through these. So... Okay, Whatever so the, the term eschatology is for your end times view. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. I never heard that word until like, I don't know, maybe four years ago. Yeah, so eschatology is your, your end times view. So that's what we're going through. So again, if I'm giving these terms out and you're like, that's wrong, those don't line up, let us know. Um, we're all trying to learn here together. So we'll just get these things going, give out the 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 viewpoint and the definition and then um move on to the millennium as well. So the first viewpoint on revelation is the idealist or spiritualist viewpoint. Do you want to read that definition? Revelation is a non-historical and non-prophetic drama about spiritual realities. Another definition that we have is that to idealists Revelation is seen as representing an ongoing conflict of good and evil with no immediate historical connection to any social or political events. Yeah, um, so this is the viewpoint that kind of sees Revelation, again, like it says, just spiritually, right? These are thoughts and ideas, good and evil, you know, all throughout history, but they don't actually pertain to real events necessarily happening. So the thing I mentioned last week, this was the viewpoint that I was kind of out on 
haven't really studied it a lot, but I was kind of like, eh. to me, it seems like a viewpoint that's like, we don't really want to do the work to study history. Right. And we don't really have enough faith to believe that these things are actually going to happen literally in the future. So we're just in right. the middle ground there. I feel so. like with, it would be the same um, seriousness and everything would have a meaning, whether it, whether it was like in the past or it's coming in the future. Like the Pharisees, I mean, everybody was actually longing for a literal Jesus to come and reign on the earth. Yeah. Um, that so, his kingdom would be literally set up. They didn't take that as just a spiritual or figurative thing at all. And I think when we look at how they read the Bible, how they should have read it, the things that have come to pass, um, we should take that also in with Revelation. Like, don't take it lightly that it's vague. Um, yeah. So to me, and again, I'd like to hear from you guys. If you're like, no, you didn't. You don't understand it properly. You haven't done enough research. Look into it. Sure, let us know. It just seems kind of lazy. This one I wasn't big on. So that takes us to our second viewpoint here. And I'm pretty sure I got this one wrong as far as terming it. So there's the the dispensationalist camp, which is kind of two two camps inside the dispensationalist camp. There's the progressive dispensationalist or the classical or historical dispensationalist. But then there's also the term called historicist. And when I was reading the definitions on both, progressive dispensationalist and historicist sounded like the same to me. But then I went and watched like a Mike Winger video and he has them broken out as two individual topics. So I was like, I don't know. Um, so we'll just read the view, the definition that I probably incorrectly came up with and correct me where I'm wrong. So do you want to read the probably incorrect progressive dispensationalist slash historicist viewpoint. Okay. This view says the book of Revelation is prophecy about church history from the time of John to the end of the world. Another definition is the umbrella concept informing this interpretation is its adherence to the already, not yet hermeneutic. This system views the first and second comings of Christ through the lens of eschatological tension. Yeah. So I think that first part of the definition is really the historicist viewpoint, the history of the church from the time of John to the end of the world. But then when I read the dispensationalist, the progressive dispensationalist, it talks about, right, the already not yet, which is basically this revelation stuff has already happened in the past and it will happen again in the future. So I was like, isn't that the history of the church from the time of John to the end of the world? It sounds like the same thing, but I think they're different. So we'll see where we go with that one. Um, but yeah, that's the already not yet. I get why view. people would just not want to do the work and just go with like the idealist one. Because this, I think all the terms confuse people. Like I just. Yeah, it's exhausting. Get rid of the terms. Let's just say just a short explanation. And just say, I believe, and just instead of saying like something like premillennial, just say, I believe Jesus is going to return and then he's going to reign for a thousand years, literally. Like, Well, and that's why stuff. smart people are able to distill the, distill the stuff down. And I will say reading through, I've only read through one book so far on the four views. And um, the dispensationalist one was a lot more challenging to understand because it was a lot of like, well, this verb and 
the tense of this verb means, yada, and you're like, oh, brother. Whereas the other ones, like the preterist view, which we'll get into, was a lot more like, hey, when they say this, it means this. And when they say that, and you're like, okay, that makes sense to me. Whereas, you know, the other one's talking about language and verbiage, and, you, and you're like, okay, that's difficult. So doesn't mean they're wrong. They just take more work. So um, we'll see. But that leads us into our third view on Revelation, and that is the classical or historical dispensationalist or can be considered the futurist view. So do you want to read that definition? All right. This view of Revelation says that Revelation is prophecy primarily about the future end of the world. Another definition is classic dispensationalist view. Uh, they view the prophecies of Revelation literally. Therefore, their fulfillment is perceived as still future. Yeah, so this is the viewpoint that, um, you know, whereas we talked about historicist or progressive dispensationalist, right? It was already happened, yet to happen. This is the one that says Revelation is a future event. Like it has not happened yet, but it will in the future. So again, that's kind of more of that, like it says here, a literal reading. Um, hey, these things are going to happen in the future. Well, we haven't seen them in the future. So that means they haven't happened yet. But are they happening happening spiritually or literally? Well, that's what the other viewpoints might say. So I think this viewpoint is the one that most people will come to just by a simple reading of the Bible. The um, plain reading of the text. I don't know. I guess you'd have to take it literal, but... Right, which, again, I don't necessarily <laughs> am saying... I'm not saying that's necessarily true, but I think that's kind of... And that's probably the broadly accepted understanding of revelation in America. That's probably the most accepted one. And I think it's because it's the easiest one to come to when you read the book, right? Because most people don't know what happened in AD 70 and mm -hmm. the destruction of the temple and all right. that to make a connection. Yeah. I think just read it and go, okay, well, I haven't seen the stars fall from the sky. So it hasn't happened yet. Easy enough. Right. So, um, doesn't mean it's wrong, right? It just means that's it hasn't happened yet. That's the idea of the view. So that's that one. Here's the fourth and final one. This is the preterist view. So do you want to read that? And preterist, I just believe, means like It's past. not confusing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. According to preterist, the book of Revelation is prophecy that was fulfilled in the first century AD. Another definition, uh, the preterist viewpoint wants to take seriously the historical interpretation of Revelation by relating it to its original author and audience. That is, John addressed his book to real churches who faced dire problems in the first century. Also, they would hold that most of the book's prophecies were fulfilled with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Yeah, yeah so... That's the thing. It's like, well, which ones? Which ones are we still looking that are going to happen in the future, though? Because I can agree. Yeah, I think a lot of that was fulfilled then. But there's also... Yeah, you know, the end times when I know I don't. Well, and that's the thing to... with these four views um, smart, godly people that are well studied and well learned believe in all of these different views. There's smart, godly people that hold to all of these views. So there's mm -hmm. some validity to all of them, yeah. I would say. Um, doesn't mean they're all right. One of them, I would say, is right. But yeah, so the futurist view says none of this has happened yet. The preterist view says pretty much all of it's happened already. So two competing viewpoints. Um, again, I will just make mention that I think the preterist viewpoint is probably the easiest when you start studying it to make sense of, whereas 
the futurist viewpoint is, I think, the one you come to easiest without studying. You just read it and you're like, yep, that hasn't happened yet. Where the preterist, you study and you go, yeah, yeah it does sound like a lot of that stuff's happened already. Well, it's so. kind of like when you're given two options, you're going to pick the one that makes the most sense, but you don't know about the third option. Nobody's presented to you that you would pick if you knew about it, if you knew the history, if you knew what 70 AD, what happened. If you're not presented with it, you, you're you not going to pick that one. Right. And that's, that's why, why it's important we to, study, right? Yeah. You need to know that stuff. So we never were taught that. Yeah, for sure. So, so, it's so good to that's consider. why we want to spend the year doing it and we don't want to rush it. We want to take our time. So um, but that's the four views on Revelation as a whole. So when it comes to Revelation 20 and the millennium, there are three views on the millennium. Again, most of you guys have probably heard these. We're just laying the groundwork for those of you who may not have. So the first view is called premillennial. Do you want to read that view? Okay, this view says that Christ will return before the millennium. Jesus will rule the world and begin an age of peace and security. Uh, this view also is held by mostly uh, those of the classic or progressive dispensationalist views. Yep. So like it says, premillennial, Christ will return before the millennium, and then he will reign for a thousand years. Uh, that's the view. And again, that's the most probably common view in America. And that today. one is more like a literal thousand years. A literal thousand years on the earth. Christ reigning physically here um, is that view. So the second view is probably the least held view, I would guess, maybe in America. At least it's the one I least understand <laughs> necessary. And that's the amillennial view. So do you want to read amillennial? Okay. They say that the millennium is not a literal 1,000 years. It refers to the period now in progress in which the gospel is spreading throughout the world and Christ is ruling at the right hand of the Father. And I'll just add that it also says that Christ is ruling and reigning in the hearts of believers. Um, so he does. We can't say he doesn't rule our hearts. Right. He is. So it's a spiritual, um, it just focuses more on the spiritual. And I'll say you can believe that it's an already and not yet thing as well. So these are all, I I would say I'm partly, I can't say I'm amillennial, but I agree Christ rules and reigns in our hearts. Well, now. sure. And this um, is the thing too, right? In like, a literal thousand years. That's just my view right now. Much like the, uh, the other four views of Revelation, there are good godly learned men who hold to all of these different viewpoints on the millennium as well. So again, there's, probably truth and good arguments for both or for all of them as well. Right. So it would be easy to dismiss one of you just like this is completely nonsensical. Right. But there's good evidence or a case can be made for all of them. So um, mm -hmm. that's a millennial. So the final view is post millennial. So we had premillennial. Now we have post millennial. You want to read that? All right. It says that there will be a period of great peace and security when the gospel has spread throughout the world and Christ reigns spiritually through his people after this time of 1,000 years or so. Uh, and Christ will return to end history. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see things getting better. I see the, a lukewarm church, you know, the, that's what we mean by religionless Christianity is that 
the Christianity we see in our country is religionless. Right. Um, and some of that is a byproduct of us being American, where a lot of people will be quick to point out that while Christianity is, you know, uh, faltering here in America, it's actually expanding and exploding all around the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Americans tend to be very like focused on America being sort of the focal point of mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. But if we look outside of America, we can see that God is still doing great things around the world. So, but yeah, so the premillennial Christ returns before the millennium, postmillennial, not necessarily a literal yeah. thousand years, but Christ returns at the end of that millennium. I've never really heard so, um, what the argument is for post-millennial. I've been listening to some arguments because preterism is basically tied very closely to post-millennialism. And that's the one that I've been, Okay, that was the first one mentioned. So I've been looking into that one a little bit more. And there are interesting arguments and there are godly people that we respect that um, hold to this view, and we'll get into that later. Th oh, can you name someone that maybe That's for I for a might later know? episode? You guys, I don't come even back know. Around, you got to come and watch oh, yeah. us next week, and we'll give you some names. So, um, but there's good godly people that we respect and listen to and like who do hold to this view. So again, there's truth and there's cases to be made for all of these. So, um, but that's what they are. That's Does this also mean post. when you're talking about the millennium views? Is that taking in like a rapture when a rapture is going to happen is that always because there's like pre i don't post know that those views i think anything regarding a rapture is a pre-millennial viewpoint i don't think anybody that's post again we're i don't studying, know there could be learning. i don't know i don't know how you could believe in amillennialism and post-millennial post-millennialism and have a rapture because a rapture supposedly starts at the start of the thousand years, but if this thousand years is already going on either spiritually <laughs> <so> or <laughs> then I don't know, but again, we're learning, maybe there is, and we'll let you know what we come to, but that's a lot of terms, a lot of definitions. I know that doesn't necessarily make for great radio podcast listening, but I think it's really important to lay the groundwork of what we're looking at, what we're studying, um, where we're going with our beliefs. Um, and I know that this may not be new to some of you. Many of you may have already studied this out and come to a very solid understanding. If you have, please let us know. We'd love to hear what you studied, how you came about, you know, to your faith, whatever it happens to be. Um, just please consider doing it in a way that's not, you know, argumentative or dismissive of others because Christians have a way of being like, well, if you just read in context, it's easy to see. And you're like, okay, no one else thought to read in context. You're like, give us more. What context are you talking about, right? Um, don't be dismissive. Because like I said, I believe there's godly people that have well studied in these areas and they come to different understandings. So it can't just be, you're the only one who ever read the Bible in context. And that's the only logical explanation. So uh but we want to hear them, right? Just do it in a way that's loving, considerate of others. That's all we would ask. But also, I think this is an area that we should all be studying. I think one of the discussions me and Nikki have had is that, you know, a lot of people in the Christian faith is something that's really been a, uh, something I've noticed a lot as I've begun to study more and more. I'm in seminary now. Is that like so many people claim to have like 
I believe this, and this is my view on this, 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 and you're like, man, these people, even from a young age, they seem to have like, I believe in this. I, this is my view on things that are very difficult to understand that very smart mm-hmm. people have spent years studying and debating. And it made me think that like, I don't think people have really studied this. It's just, it's what I've heard. It's what I've known. And mm-hmm. I, I don't really want to go and look any further. And that shouldn't be the case for Christians. You know, Paul tells us to study, to show ourselves approved. And we should study all aspects of it, right? Mm-hmm. We should study the end times. We should study, um, you know, just whatever it is, right? Baptism. There's arguments about baptism. There arguments about, you know, just everything in the Christian faith. We should never take any of it just for granted. Mm-hmm. Now, it takes time and you can only devote yourself in so many places, but we should make time to study all of it. So, um, yeah, but we're so busy, like, you know, like with scrolling, like they don't want us taking the time to study things. No, of course not. It's designed to keep you preoccupied and busy, but you know, we should. So that's what Nikki and I are doing. And you know, it's very likely possible that we wind up right where we started, right? Classical dispensationalist premillennials, right? It's very possible. That's where we wind up, but we could not, right? And I'm excited for the journey. You know, when we're, you know, we've talked about this before, we're of a more reformed sort of Calvinistic faith now. And that's not how we grew up. That didn't come about until, you know, four or five, six years ago. And I feel like once we studied to understand that, I felt like my soul was lifted Mm -hmm. to like really understand something better. It made me super excited to learn and study more. And I'm hoping this does the same thing. So that's what we're doing. We hope that you come and join us, correct us where we're wrong, uh, encourage us where we're right, give us some resources that you have. We'd love all of that. So um, that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to be trying to devote this year to. Uh, I will mention I've just about finished with the first book that I've read. It's called The Four Views of Revelation, written by four different authors. I'll have that link down in the show notes. It's kind of a quick read on an overview of the four uh, preterist, futurist, historicist, and idealist. If you want to just get a quick reading of them, uh, I'll have that book linked down in the show notes. You can go check that out. But uh, I'm excited. A lot more study to, to go. As in addition to all the other stuff, I'm in classes now, right? Pastoral classes. So I got a lot of studying to do. I'm excited to learn it all. Um, but I am uh, I am motivated, I think is the right word, to do the study because I really want to know. Um, because it's encouraging, right? We're all looking for the end when Christ yeah. returns. And we that should motivate us. Christ. But yeah, you know, so. I want to know what I'm to expect. I want, I'm excited yeah. to see that. Are so. things going to get better and better? Or are they going to get worse and worse? And we need to prepare um, one way or the other. I think that is why it's the most important is to be ready. Am I possibly in this country? I know what's going on in other countries. People are martyred for their faith today. Yeah. But we don't, I don't know. It's not happening less and less. But if it starts to come here, that's going to affect people's faith because if they're sure the scriptures teach something different and they wonder what's going on, is that going to shake their faith? Um, yeah. Just, is, are we going to have a time aware of testing it. or not? Yeah. Got to be aware of it so your faith will um, stand. So in light of that, as we get ready to end here for our recommended listening, 
I just wanted to recommend this uh, fairly short 18 minute video on the interpretations of revelation. You know, he talks about the historicist, futurist, preterist, idealist, but he does so in a way that is not pushy on one viewpoint, just sort of a explanation of all of them. So if you aren't sure, you've never maybe heard these, or it's been a while, or you're not very uh, familiar, come give it a listen. It's a fairly quick, easy to understand um, discussion on the different viewpoints of Revelation. And again, we'd love to hear where you are, what got you there. If you're searching like us, let us know what you're studying, because uh, we want to we want to come to a solid understanding, and we're excited for the journey. So, otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow with our daily or with our family devotional, if you will. We're in going through Genesis this whole year as well, so we're in Genesis chapter two. And then um, come find me on you know YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I do most days of the week, just sort of one minute shorts, kind of looking at whatever chapter I'm in for Genesis, just different quotes and viewpoints on those specific chapters is pretty good. And then we'll be back next Saturday with with whatever the world throws at us. So we'll see you guys then. God bless.